All right, we are live. We're live, brother. We're live. Colin, what's up, bro? Hey, how you doing? What's up, man? So for the listeners out there, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as many of you know, me and Adam are huge advocates for mental health. Um, we've dealt with it ourselves firsthand. And so because of that, we're huge proponents of it when it comes to our show. And so because of that, we wanted to invite our friend Colton onto the show, uh, who's also a mental health awareness advocate. Um, and really just have that open discussion on what mental health is um, and how it's kind of planted itself in our lives. We think it's a, it, it's kind of a hard conversation to have, but we think it's absolutely necessary to bring to the forefront simply because that's that's what it is these days. You know, that's what people, not even just student athletes, but that's what people struggle these days. And having those open discussions and how you can potentially recognize, maybe help somebody, we, we're, we're going to have that talk 10 out of 10 times. So, Colton, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I think, I mean, I agree with everything you said. It's, it's a tough conversation, but it's a very important conversation that, I mean, in order for any progress to be made, be made with mental health as a whole or just with somebody in particular, you got to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always so, going to be a little bit sticky and a little bit, you know, uh, awkward at first. But man, mm -hmm. if, if you just start talking, it gets a lot easier once you do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the easiest way to kind of break it down is not only are we are we advocates, but maybe just Colin, just tell us a little about you and your kind of your story with mental health and how you've transitioned from, you know, different chapters of your life to where you are kind of now. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's a story, I mean, it's a story that I've always wanted to be open about because I think that is what's important. Like that's, it's important to be open about it because I mean, it helps, it helps you realize that it helps other people realize that other people go through this stuff too. I have struggled in some way, shape or form since I was, I mean, honestly, since I hit puberty, like young, I've like 11, 12, 13. I, I don't know. I mean, I've always just kind of said that that stuff hit me like a train because I've just started panicking about the smallest things. It was um, stuff that wasn't that big a deal, but like it mattered to me for some reason. It mattered to me more than it should have. Mm -hmm. Stuff, you know, an interaction that I might have with somebody during the day that I might regret. They might just, they might have just totally written it off, but I won't sleep that night. And mm -hmm. it's just like, it started, like I said, it started when I was just hitting my teens. And at first, after a while, I, or I thought it was, I kind of thought it was attributed to my, I mean, my parents split when I was pretty young. And I think that there were some unprocessed feelings with that, but as I got more and more answers, I started to realize that that wasn't necessarily the case. And I would, um, at the time when mental health wasn't as big of a topic as it was now, the general response was, you know, just put this kid on drugs and, and we'll just, you know, we're fine. So, um, so I was, I was put on some different antidepressants and stuff like that pretty young and without, necessarily knowing what was going on mm -hmm. um, i mean i would see different doctors and therapists and stuff like that but i also don't feel like i knew quite what to say to them um and so i think the biggest thing i just relied on was the medications for the longest time and i i guess i kind of i realized or i thought that you know since i'm on meds i'm good like i'm fixed i'm I'm cured. And um, so I just kind of, I guess I just sort of coasted for the longest time. And you kept convincing yourself, right? Every single yeah, day, I just, hey, the medication, 
It's yeah, like, me. I'm, I'm on meds, so I'm good. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just felt like I got what I needed, and I, and I just kind of grew to think, like, that I couldn't be helped, I suppose, because I would, even though I was on meds, I would have, I would still have what I would refer to, ooh, I've always called them my crashes, where mm-hmm. I was just, um, I just needed help, I was hysterical, and I just could not, I couldn't keep going. Um, but, and those just kept happening. And they really, I mean, I think they really started to pick up once I hit college. Um, I mean, I started, I started playing football as a sophomore in high school. Had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know the rules. I didn't, I didn't know enough about football to care as much as I did about it. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I played played in high school. I didn't actually play till I was a senior. So kind of my whole my head was wrapped around the thought of just playing football. That was where my that was where my brain was. That was my main focus of my whole life. And so, you know, senior year rolls around, I start I earn a starting spot and you know, make just enough do just enough to earn a walk on spot at for the Grizz. Um where and I got there and just got my ass handed to me minute one. I mean, it was I. So real quickly, do you think? Yeah, you know, I guess this is something that I'm just thinking about when it came to my personal journey. Did you think when you got that opportunity to play at the next level that as soon as you got there, all, all your problems were solved because you 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 made it? You know what I mean? Yeah, you got that I opportunity mean, to play. I think that that was definitely a, a part of it. Like I got to I got to college and all and. You know, here in Missoula, Grizz football is where it's at. Like, yep. if you're a Grizz football player in Missoula, you are a spe- – I mean, and just – if you're a college football player anywhere in Montana, you're a stud, you're a celebrity, everybody looks looks up to you. And I think I just – when I first got to college, I was really raking in the, the good feelings. Like, I was just yep. trying to take in the good parts. And then, you know, after my first – so my first spring ball rolls around and all of a sudden they're telling me, well, you're about to play a lot. You're going to, I mean, I was my first snap as a college football player. I was a starter I, without, I mean, I, um, I mean, Angel, you can speak for just how nervous I was when that, when that came around. And once I, I think, once I, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, I know you do. Um, once, once that kind of rolled around, I think the, the good stuff started to fade and I really began to focus on the pressure that was on me. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of a sudden, I mean, my first start, I was, I had just turned 19. Mm-hmm. I, uh, cause I didn't even turn 18 until the end of my first fall camp. So mm-hmm. my first start came right after I turned 19. Yeah. And so I'm, I mean, I'm still in my teens and all of a sudden I'm front and center for college football team. And all of a sudden, like the the crowds are bigger, the game is faster, and just the pressure is so much bigger. It's so there's so much more of it. With a lot of this stuff, with a lot of I mean, mental health as a whole, a lot of the things like one thing I've always said is the the only thing harder than not being okay is pretending that you are. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I really felt like I had to do that for a long time because all of this pressure was on me. I was a starter for a college football team and one of the more recognized ones in the FCS. And 
it was just like it was all there i mean the pressure was there and it was it was always driving me crazy but for the longest time i just i kept putting masks on because i knew i or i thought i guess at the time i thought that the pressure and like or the the moment was more important like what i was going through on the field was more important that when than what was going what i was going through between my ears like that was i would prioritize football over myself and at the time i just didn't have the strength courage bravery whatever you want to call it i didn't have i didn't have whatever i needed to speak out about it yet mm. and, and i just kind of sat with it for so long like i just i just kind of in i bottled it up which is i mean the, one of the hardest things one of the hardest things for someone to do it's one of the i think you know bottling up that that emotion is it hurts. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and it would get to the point, especially around the time my sophomore year rolled around that I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And like, it was so hard for me to, to do that, to get out of bed, to go to, I mean, not even football stuff. Like, I mean, I, I always loved the weight room. I thought it was so much fun. Even going there was super hard. Um, but just getting out of bed, going to class. I mean, even if I didn't have anything football that day, just the, the pressure, I let the pressure get to me and I bottled it up for so long that it just overcame me and took over everything else in my life to the point where I didn't want to get out of bed at all. I, I was just, I was absolutely, I was drained and, and it was, and, and it's enough. And I, I have always said, because a lot of people have asked this, I don't think, I know it didn't have anything to do with any of the people that I was involved with because of that. I mean, I had and still have a great relationship with the coaching staff and all of my former teammates. Like, that's what a lot of people have asked is like, is it like, are these are those coaches stressing you out? But no, it's, I mean, I'm stressing myself out because I'm the kind of guy, and I know a lot of people are like this, but I am the kind of person that I am my own worst critic. Yeah. That, um, you know, I'll, I could go and have a great practice or a great game, but I'll miss one block and I won't sleep because of that one missed block. I mean, like I said, I could be, I could have a great game, but that one play that I screwed up will drive me crazy until the next play that I mess up, which then that'll drive me crazy. And I just, I began to just fear for lack of a better term. I was just, I was nervous. I was scared of going to this thing that was originally such a passion that I like, made my whole life about. Like this thing that I wrapped my whole life around became such a source of anxiety for me. And I felt found myself not wanting to go do it in the morning, but I felt like I had made that commitment and I couldn't back out of it. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that with, with, you know, kind of that chapter of your life, and being able to recognize it because I think when it came to me specifically, when I was dealing with these emotions of depression and anxiety, anxiety, and maybe even a little bit suicidal in some regards, you know, mm -hmm. when I was dealing with that, yeah. I thought that this is just what it is. This mm -hmm. is what I have to deal with. This mm -hmm. is what what life is called. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I think that, that I masked it and. I'm just kind of curious, do you think it kind of created a little bit of a fog too to just, you know, kind of realize or maybe in that moment kind of recognize that, hey, this is just is what it is at this point. Mm -hmm. You can't fix this. 
Well, that's what, yeah, like, you can't fix this was a big, was a big mantra for myself for a long time. I definitely think I did, I mean, I don't want to say I got used to it, because that would have made it easier, but it was just, it was part of my day, to, mm-hmm. to be scared, to be, to have anxiety about going to these things that used to just be routine, like, it just, yeah, it became part of life, and it, I mean, in and out, and it always will be in an extent. This isn't not something that ever really gets all the way cured, but it's, yeah, it just really did become part of my life. And it got to the point where, I mean, like I said, I was, I was kicking myself. I was beating myself up so much over the smallest things. I mean, with football, football was the big one. I mean, that was because it mattered. It's mattered so much to me. And I know that it was, I mean, if you watched me out there, you could tell how much I cared. And I know I did, and I know I worked hard at it, but when things wouldn't always work out 100% of the time, I would crash. And and it got to the point where I did. I mean, it eventually came to a huge head when, I mean, it was my third fall camp, because it would have been in 2019 when I had a really, really bad crash. And... I I honestly don't know what led up to it. Um, it was just it was during fall camp and something something didn't go right. I don't remember what it was, but I I was sitting. I remember I was sitting ready to lift. We were waiting for the coach to come up for a lift, and I remember I remember having the thought that I I've got a knife in my car, and if somebody lets me go to my car, I'm probably going to kill myself. And I and then when I had that thought, it's that thought came to my head, and I was like, I need to talk to somebody. I mean, this like I know that I don't. I know that intellectually that I don't want to die, but. Mm-hmm. I've always said that mental health is the least rational thing you'll ever encounter. And I remember I had that thought. And even though I knew in my mind what was right, I was like, no, I, I need to, this is it. And I, I broke down. I went to, I said, yeah, how, how, how much did that scare you in the moment when you're sitting was, just realizing that, hey, man, this is scary. It was, just, it was absolutely terrifying because I'm sitting with a bunch of teammates and, and I've been putting on a mask for so long that I was kind of used to it. And then this thought comes to my head and I'm like, I'm trying not to cry in the middle, like out of nowhere, like for all these guys in the other, in the room, I'm trying not to cry out of nowhere. And I was like, so I was like, what I, I and this was the first part where I, this is the first time where I was like super clueless. I didn't know what to do. So the first, I mean, I went to a close friend of mine on the team and I told him, I was like, man, if if somebody lets me go, I'm going to kill myself. And I, and he, and he was, I mean, he was there. He was like, you, man, you need to go, you need to talk to somebody. And so, and before, and coach hadn't come up yet. So I went down, talked to him and I told him the same thing. I was like, coach, listen, if you, if you let me leave this building, I'm going to go kill myself. And, and I mean, everybody was, there, I mean, you know, coach shut his door. He sent somebody else to start the lift. He he shut his door. He sat down with me and he's like, what's going on? And honestly, I don't remember a lot of what I said because, I mean, I bottled it all up and the cap came off the bottle. It was just, it was, and it was just whoosh, like everything, everything exploded. And I was just like, and I know that a lie attributed a lot of it to being my own worst critic and just, 
kicking myself for the, the smallest things that went wrong, even though in the grand scheme of things, I didn't really, I mean, I know now that I didn't, I was being way too dramatic about it. I mean, I was, I, I know now that, and I wish I knew then that I'm a damn, I was a damn good football player. And like, I, I screw up once in a while. There's never been a perfect game of football played in his, in its history. So, mm-hmm. you know, one screw up here and there is fine. I needed to cut myself some slack, but I didn't know that in the time. And, and I just, I talked to the coaches. I was like, I was like, listen, I need the, this is the first time that I really knew that I needed some time. I needed time for me. This is the, like the first time that I can ever remember that I took that time for myself. And I mean, it was helpful. Um, but all I really got from it, because I was still trying to navigate all of this, mm-hmm. all that I really got from it was a couple days off. I mean, it was, I mean, I tried my best to talk to some, you know, counselors and doctors and stuff like that. But I mean, part of it was I had stayed on the same medication since I was, for the most part, since I was 13. So it, I mean, and by then I was 19. So it was just like, I mean, that probably wasn't doing me much good anymore at all. And, and I still didn't have a handle on this. And that was really where I started to realize or not realize, but think that I was beyond help because I felt like by that time, I mean, I bounced around different, different counselors, different meds. And I just got the thought in my head that I couldn't be helped and that I was, I was beyond help. I, there was no saving me and I'm just going to have to put up with this either, I mean, until I can figure it out or which and which or until I kill myself, which at the time seemed like the easier route. So So Colton, you you know, you mentioned your highs, you know, your highs were high, your lows were lows, being your own worst critic. And I've got to say, like, thank you for coming on. And, and, and telling your story a little bit about mine is is I, I i was the same thing like that worth that right you, you have that self-worth where you are able to say hey i'm worth this but when you get into those those low lows nothing nothing is is what it seems you mm-hmm. don't have any worth you don't have anything and all you want to do is just fix what is going on in your head and so nothing is rational like you said um and mine was just with friends i was going through some horrible times with friends and mm-hmm. and stuff like that where i just felt like i wasn't worth anything yeah um, and so one of the things that i and my, my wife is a, a counselor so um this is one of the things that she preaches is just coming up with a toolkit you know uh mm-hmm. things that you can use when you because you're everyone's going to hit you can't get away from it mm-hmm. everyone in the world is going to hit a point where they're depressed and mm-hmm. so having those tools when you get depressed will help you extremely extremely right. Um, and, and they might seem stupid at the time when you're not in one, but man, if you use those tools, it, it, it can mean your life or your, your death. Did you have any of those tools that you use that you kind of go through or, or is it just, you know, you look for those people that you can rely on? Cause those are tools as well. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have a more defined toolkit, I would say now, but I definitely didn't then. I mean, I was really, I was on, I felt like I was on my own. And that was part of it was because, I mean, I know now that one of the best things you can do for yourself is to ask for help. I mean, it's one of the hardest things for anyone who struggles with this stuff to do. But 
I mean, I can speak from my own experience that asking for help is why I'm still here. Because, I mean, I, I definitely did not wow. have a toolkit and at the time. And, I mean, the crashes just kept on coming, and I didn't know what to do. And... I mean, especially, you know, going, I, I, you know, like I said, that last one I had, the best, the most I got from it was a couple days off from fall camp, which was nice, but not what I needed. It wasn't everything that I needed. I mean, I had some time to kind of, for lack of a better term, get my shit together, but um, it was not, I wasn't, I wasn't any better than I was before the crash. Like nothing, nothing was fixed. And, Mm -hmm. and then it, you know, it happened again. I mean, we, um, and in the term, in the sense of being my own worst critic, you know, we played, um, week three came along, we played Oregon. And, and a team that everybody kind of assumed out, uh, was just going to hand it to us. And, you know, I, <laughs> I, went, uh, I went up against all, I mean, until I got benched, I went up against the guy who was the like, fifth overall pick in the draft this past draft, Kayvon Thibodeau. And I mean, I was, like I said, I was 19 years old and, and a walk on and he was not either of those things. He was a developed football player who was very highly recruited and he wiped the floor with me all game to the point where I was benched before halftime. And I now, I don't know what happened. I mean, well, that was what happened. And I, I got benched before halftime, played a little, I mean, played a little bit in the fourth quarter, gave up another sack right away. And I sat in the, I sat in the locker room after the game and, let me just bawled my eyes out because, you know, a big thing for me, like finding your worth, I may, I mean, I made the mistake of f- determining my self-worth based on how I played. And if I didn't play well, which I didn't that Oregon game, I mean, I cut myself way more slack now because it was Oregon. But if I don't play well, I'm worth less as a person. And I, you know, I, like I said, got benched twice basically in the same game and went into the locker room after the game and lost it. And um, my dad, who was a, who would never missed a game of my career. He, uh, he was at that game. I don't know. I, I went out there trying to find him because I just knew I needed somebody. I needed somebody because I mean, I was bummed that we lost, but I was also in a really bad place right there because of the way, the way my head was working. And like I said, my dad came to every game, and I remember I went out there after the coaches finished giving their post-game spiel, trying to find him, and I couldn't. He couldn't find me. Like, he couldn't, um, I don't know, for some reason or the other, he couldn't find where the fans or the players were. We just It just didn't work out. We couldn't find each other. And I just kind of stood there, and I had never felt, I mean, I was surrounded by people, and I'd never felt more alone. Wow. And, uh... People, I mean, I bet, I mean, nobody, I didn't really see anybody, any parents I recognized at that game, but even, but if somebody had come up to me at that point and just like put a hand on my shoulder, I probably would have broken down. I mean, I was hanging together by the thinnest of threads and I, I just internalized that all, all weekend like I just kind of t- told myself that I was worthless because I can't hold up against the team that won the Rose Bowl that year. And, um, like, I just – I because I couldn't play football against one of the best defensive players in college football, I was less of a human being. And I just – I didn't need to be there. And I, I sat on that all weekend. And then Monday came around, 
and we were supposed to go back and have practice, lifts, whatever, go back to, it was the start of our week. And I, and I just, that was it. I mean, the, that sitting on that combined with the bottled up fear of going, of getting out of bed every day. And I never left my house. I, oh, I, yeah, I never left my house. I went to, um, I went to the, the drawer, I went to my kitchen drawer, grabbed a knife and just kind of sat there for a while. Um, I ended up leaving a couple scars on, on one of my legs because I felt I needed to feel something. And, um, I mean, the very next thing I did was I texted a group chat of some of my closest friends and said I needed help. And I think if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here. I mean, people and everybody, it was a group chat I had with the O-line. And Angel dropped everything he had, came to my house. Um, he was, I mean, he was right there. Another guy, another guy came. My room, one of my, two of my roommates were home. I got calls and calls from a bunch of other guys. I mean, everybody was there. And I think, I think everybody being there was kind of what took me out of the moment of my crash. Because said, if I hadn't asked for help, if I hadn't sent that text, I really don't think I would be here right now because I held that knife in my hand and no, I, I was very much ready to do something way worse, Yeah. but I sent that text and thank God people came. I mean, I said, and the people that did, I can't thank them enough because that I could have done something so much worse if I hadn't, if they, if I hadn't sent that and if they hadn't responded as fast as they did. And I really think that that did take me out of that moment because I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the people who deal with this and especially those who might go into panics like I do, it's everything that you go through in the, that moment of panic just seems like the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse you can go through than what you are right now. But if you make it through that moment, everything starts to kind of simmer down. It's like the whole, all the pressure in the world just, and I think everybody being there kind of took me, got me through that moment because like I said, had I sat in that, who knows? I don't, I don't know. And at that was at the point where I knew that I needed, I really needed something other than what I was doing. I needed help even more than I ever have before. And I, I attribute that day in my life as being the time when I truly hit rock bottom like that. I don't think I have ever sunk lower than I did that day. And I knew that that was the absolute, I mean, that was the scariest thing I've ever been through because I, I had no certainty through that whole thing until people started coming to my house. I had no certainty that I was going to be alive in the next minute. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know if I was going to do something in the next minute that I, I mean, that would have been horrible. And, mm-hmm. and that uncertainty scared me. I mean, I was terrified that, I was going to do something. And then, like I said, I thank God the people that came got there when they did, because that I know they wouldn't have let me do anything, but it took me out of that moment. And then it really made me think that I need something else. I need to change what I'm doing because what I've been doing over the years hasn't been working or it's been, been temporary, been a temporary fix. And then I go right back to a constant level of just being miserable Mm-hmm. And I can't put up with it anymore. Yeah. I, yeah. And I Colt, just, Colt, yeah. how, how, how big are you at this point in time? How big are you? 
Like physically? Physically. You're you're, um, you're standing at what? Six eight six nine. Six nine probably. How much were you weighing at the time? At the time, probably three ten. Three ten. So for listeners out there, I mean, literally a giant of a of a man, a behemoth of a man, the pinnacle of of I of what an offensive line football player needs to be as far as you know tall wise and big wise you know in all kind of dimensions and this guy's kind of going through it and i guess in that light and i think this is where a lot of athletes struggle is because we're supposed to be the tough ones Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be the bigger ones the stronger ones than anybody else you know Mm -hmm. that these were the gifts that god gave us so why aren't you know why aren't we stronger in those regards you know but the fact that you're dealing with that how much did it take for you to willingly submit yourself to other people and say hey man I need help. What 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 did that do for you in the moment? I mean, I know now that I mean, and I I mean I think this all the time, but I know now that asking for help, especially then and there when I did, was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But it ended up probably saving my life. I mean, and I honestly like when I sent that text, I hovered my thumb over the send button for. A solid minute before I actually forced myself to hit it, because mm-hmm. and Why I mean, do you think it's so hard for athletes to do because you hear about these situ. I mean, literally heartbreaking situations. Soccer player from Stanford a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. committed suicide. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I think about that and I get you know my stomach starts to turn just thinking about the situation wherever she might have been, whether it be in her dorm or her house, and just sitting there, just turning and sitting there saying, "Hey, I'm so close to this, and I I'm hovering. Oh, she's hovering over the send button too." But mm-hmm. it's just too scary to send it to hit that button, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I'm sitting there wondering, like, wow, my goodness gracious, because I've been in that situation too, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've always found ways to deal with it. Thank, thank God, whether it be through people, whether it be friends or experiences that kind of help me see, you know, the, yeah. the half glass full tide thing. But I'm still sitting there, terrified to death, just wanting to have these conversations, you know. Like you said, Cole, my fingers hovering over the send button, but why is it so hard for me to just, you know, bring down half an inch and hit that button? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's it's so. I think, and we've we've been, I guess, conditioned for the longest time, and it's obviously not fair, but we've been conditioned to think that that conversation was so taboo, mm-hmm. um, and it's not. It's it's. I think, especially now, it's got more. It has more like more of a spotlight on it than ever, especially, I mean, yeah, with that soccer player from Stanford, it's, and it's, it's something that keeps happening. That's the thing. It's not like, it's not like we're losing, we're losing one soul and then that's it. I mean, this keeps happening, which keeps shedding more of a spotlight on it, but it didn't always have that spotlight. And we were just, cost, yeah. and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there was a lot of, I, a lot of the, there are a lot of people, I mean, for a while that there was kind of the lifestyle of you need to bottle it up and be a man. I mean, it's, I think that that's a way of just kind of a way of life that isn't, it it was way, it used to be way more prominent, but it's, it's still there in a sense, but it's, I think just because of that, like we don't want to, the biggest thing for me is I don't want to come off as a burden and like, I f- don't want to feel like I'm dumping my problems on somebody and I can't see in the moment, like, how much they care and how much it's not like that I'm dumping them, my problems on them. It's how much they want to help. Like, it's mm-hmm. not, 
I'm not burdening them because they, they, I mean, if they didn't want to help me, they wouldn't be there. Yeah. They say no. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the fact that they're there me, speaks to how much they care. And like, just like I said, yeah, like I just don't want to burden them. And it feels like I am like, I just feel like I'm inconveniencing others with my problems. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason that it's so hard to speak out about it. And I mean, I was just, part of me was, I was raised a little bit with the sense of, with that, you know, be a man mindset. A cowboy, um, that cowboy Montana mindset. Exactly. Well, and yeah, my, I, my family, I mean, my family is very, I have a very blue collar family. I mean, they have been raised on the concept of hard work their whole lives and that, you know, you gotta be tough and, and that, and all of that. And I think that that's still, I mean, toughness is a thing like it's, but I think it's taking on, it should, or at least should take on a new meaning because there is so much more that we have to be open about than we used to. I mean, it's, um, I mean, there's just, yeah, that we're putting up with so much these days, like, and it's so much broader of a topic than it used to be because we have to make it a broad topic. Otherwise we're going to, I mean, we're going to keep losing people if we don't. And, and I don't, I mean, like I've said that this isn't something that can be completely fixed, but we have, there are so many more steps that can be taken mm-hmm. and it starts with talking about it. Yes. I mean, that is what needs to, that's what needs to be done because that's the first step. It's the hard, it's one of the hardest steps, yep. but I can speak from experience that it is one of the best things you can do for yourself because it's probably why I'm still alive today. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things like you said is more, I think it's more prevalent than people know. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the, uh, in the older times before our time um, is people compensated, right? They mm-hmm. either partied or, and, and that still happens today, partying mm-hmm. and, and other drugs, uh, different kinds of things that compensate that help you get through those hard times. Right. Um, but with athletes, athletes, mm-hmm. it's harder to get away, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in Montana with both, both the football teams, you are the pro sport. You are the mm-hmm. pro sport. You're constantly under the magnifying glass. You're constantly watched, constantly chatted about uh, Twitter nowadays, uh, Twitter and Instagram and everything like that, where you're constantly connected. You can't get away. It becomes mm-hmm. even worse. So I, I and I truly like Colton, uh, it, it, we have to talk about it. This is this is where we can get a hold of it and, and reach out to people that and say, you don't have to be the strongest person. Mm-hmm. Just because you are six nine three ten, you don't have to be the strongest person right now. Mm-hmm. There are other people that love you, that want to see you you succeed and strive, and want you to be healthy. Where mm-hmm. you said it uh, uh, also, Colton, it just doesn't go away. You just can't erase it. It do, it doesn't mm-hmm. happen like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's ne- you're gonna have flare ups. You're gonna have times where you're like, eh, I feel great. Yeah. But you have to be able to talk about it. You have to have that toolbox and, and, and know that just because I'm going through it doesn't mean that I'm not strong. Doesn't right. mean that I'm, 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 I'm not an athlete. I'm not a, I'm not worth. Um, and 
I, I commend you getting out of a situation where you are trying to find your worth in something else that is more healthy for you. That mm-hmm. is probably one of the hardest things. You know, you, you said mentioning uh, um, talking about it, but man, having your worth, because a lot of uh, guys, and you guys know it for sure, a lot of these guys that come in and they want to be NFL athletes, that's, mm-hmm. that's the huge fall is because not a lot of people are going to be that part of that 1%. Yeah, right. and, and I mean, even that's right where here, that downfall is going to happen. Right here, just real mm-hmm. quick, Adam, just so yeah, you guys kind of understand. Yep. Like you said, Cole's a big guy. You know, yep. six nine, three ten at the point. I was, I think, the biggest that I got, got up to was six four, six five, kind of depending on the shoe, depending on the day. Uh, six four, six five. I think my heaviest was three forty eight. You know, not proud to be that big at that point in time. I wish you know that was a whole different deal, just dealing with my own set of problems. But it, I mean. Big as big as you possibly get, going against some of the most baddest, most athletic, some of the most uh, you know gifted athletes that you'll ever come across. You're in the top one percent at that point, and it's super interesting because I just read this. Uh, I think it was yesterday among professional athletes or just elite athletes. So elite in this kind of study is talking about being an elite high school player, an elite college football player, or just athlete in general, and an elite professional player too. 35% of elite athletes suffer from mental health crisis, which may manifest as stress, eating disorders, burnout, depression, or anxiety, you know? Mm-hmm. And so because of that, right off the bat, I think it's okay. Again, these conversations are super important because it, took, it, it lets people know that, hey, you're not the only one, mm-hmm. you know? And I think being able to sit down and kind of realizing that there's, that, there's, that there's a lot of people that kind of suffer and struggle from this, you know? It gives me hope that hey, there's programs out there that, that you're gonna be able to kind of take advantage of in order to help you. There's yeah. people out there that you can kind of talk about it, you know. Yeah. And that was one thing that I always kind of recognized early in my career because when I got to that lowest of low place, it was the same. It was it was that kind of that same kind of place that you were at, Colton. You know, I've I've had a gun pulled on me before. I've had mm-hmm. I've, I've had a knife pulled on me before a couple times. You know, I've been around situations that were super life threatening. But I was most scared of myself. I've never been more scared of any of those situations than when it was just me sitting in my room, looking myself in the mirror and wondering, what does that next 30 seconds look like for me? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to be here? You know? Mm-hmm. And so because of that, having this conversation, I think is, is step number one, just to sit down and recognize. Because in that time, for me personally, it fogged it up. I just thought this is life. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? And then once I started analyzing, like, hey, you know what? Now that I'm a, away from that a little bit, and I'm sitting here, and I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, man, life is it's, life is special in so many different ways. And I look back on those moments, and I'm like, why why was I so blinded by it? You know. Mm-hmm. And I think first and foremost is being educated and having those platforms to understand what mental health is. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think from there, being able to kind of take those steps to really kind of realize, you know, in your own respect, because not everything is going to work exactly the same everybody's built a little bit differently certain practices work better you know Mm -hmm. i actually went to church yesterday and one of the things that really kind of stood out to me and it kind of related it back to mental health for me is just being able to you work so hard every day to essentially produce your fruit you know and in that fruit you made you you make this awesome fruit because you work so hard for it you bear the fruit and then after a while after a couple days it starts to ripen up Mm -hmm. and then after a couple weeks it starts to go bad and after a couple of months, it's it's completely dead and you should not eat it. It should not be in your house anymore. That's why you throw it away, essentially, you know. Mm-hmm. But because of that, what I was doing is I was holding on to those little nuggets of of that fruit. You know, something good would happen in my life and I would hold on to it. And I would hold on to it. Like you, like Conan kind of mentioned, I had a good game. I had a good practice and I would hold on to it. 
and I would hold on to it. And then eventually, before you know it, it all kind of faded away. And I was mm -hmm. back down in the dumps wondering, like, man, I felt so good, you know, 24 hours ago. What What's changed? You know, <laughs> now I'm in that same dark place. But 24 hours ago, you know, I, 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 I was so much better, you mm -hmm. know. And I think that's simply because I didn't recognize it and I wasn't planting my seed to continually grow more fruit. You mm -hmm. know, I was holding on to those little nuggets and just letting and then just stopping the work. Because I, I said this before, being happy is hard, being satisfied. It's all mm -hmm. hard, you mm -hmm. know, and I think taking 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 that 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 first step of recognizing, taking that second step of initiating. It's a really hard thing to do. You know, but it's a really necessary step, I think. And mm -hmm. it has to come from within, man. And it has to come from being surrounded by good people and being open and honest about it. Because if it weren't for certain people in my life, I'd say, who knows where I would be? You mm -hmm. know, Adam, you can relate to it. Colton, you guys yeah. probably relate to it too. Mm -hmm. you know? well, it's crazy, Angel, because you, you mentioned that, I think I was reading the same article, uh, 35%. And I, I read ran across this uh, stat of, of that 35%, only 8 to 10% of people get help mm -hmm. uh, with Maybe. that. And so that's, that's astronomical. That's, that's a lot of people that we're losing that we don't have to lose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've talked about one of, one of the things that I'm passionate in is, is how, how can we help athletes? You know, mm -hmm. how, you know, this, the, we already know the symptoms, sleep, irritability, energy, and, and, and you know, emotion and, and, and all that stuff that, that happened to people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what do we do? What do we do from here? You know, there's gotta be the, the, it's a growing field of the mental side of sports, the mm -hmm. mental side of, of an athlete to be mm -hmm. an elite athlete. You have to have the mental side and the physical side. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the podcasts that I love is, um, the sports psych show, uh, with Daniel Abrams. Uh, if you, if you guys want a sports psych show where they go about go into like positive mindsets, which I'm totally in as a teacher, I'm, I, I, I preach positive mindsets with my kids, my students. Um, it, it's a great one. Uh, but he just goes over, you know, as an a, a athlete, you can't have a distracted mind because if you have a distracted mind, you, it's dangerous. You, you could kill you. Mm. You could get killed in that that sport. Mm -hmm. So my question in that long, huge thing is as colleges, we, I, I think that they need to go to a, a yeah, strength and conditioning is great. But in that that small, small area window, we've got to put mental health in there. We've mm -hmm. got to have a mental health coach. We've got to have someone or a staff where they're constantly checking and, and going into mental side of of an athlete. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. I agree. I mean, I think that there needs to be somebody that you can that you can talk to that that is their job. I mean, and nothing and nothing against all of the people that I've talked to that were related to the program, but they had other things to worry about. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm happy to talk to like like the um, the training staff were, I would talk to them a lot and they were fantastic. I mean, I, nothing against them. They did such an amazing job being there for me. And I think that that is a, I mean, I think that's a great idea. And I think that one thing that has always kind of helped me and kind of put all of this in perspective. And, and I know that what I'm about to say is not for everybody because 
we all go through this differently. But when I was so when I crashed like that, I stepped away from the team and admitted myself to the Providence Health Center and stayed there for a week mid season. I um, I mean I was a starter, walked away from it and took the time I needed and I in there we had a we had a couple different types of um, therapy as they called it but one of which was it was just a group therapy session with this it was a, um, some kind of specialist they brought in from somewhere out of uh, somewhere out of town or out of state or something like some kind of specialist that they brought in to run this therapy session and like I said so it was a group therapy session and and I I mean obviously these are these other people that I'm with are complete strangers to me. Like it's, um, and I don't know, I don't know who they are, but there are people of different shapes and sizes. I mean, there were people there as young as I was. I mean, like I said, I was 19. There are people there as young as I was to people in their sixties that were in that same ward. And they sat us down with, they all sat us down with each other. And like a big, it was a big group therapy session, which, like I said, is not for everybody. But it really helped me put it in perspective because the first thing this doctor that came in asked was, he was like, basically, he said, "What has?" He he phrased it in a way that made more sense. But he was like, basically, why are you here? He asked us why we were here, and like it was a more gentle way. But he just wanted to know what was going through our minds. And I was like almost, he started at the other side of the room. So I was almost last. And so I kind of just listened to these people. Like I'm looking around the room, listening to these people go through, like talk about them, talk about what's, what's going through their heads. And in that moment, I'm like, and it's a lot of it is similar stuff to what I'm going through. But in my head, I'm like, wow, Like I'm sitting here with this group. And there was at least 12 of us in that therapy session. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, wow, like I'm hearing these people, but these just look like normal people. Like Mm -hmm. to me, these are completely normal people who are going through the same thing that I am. And that really, I mean, that just kind of put the whole thing into perspective for me as to I mean, that was really what made me realize I'm not alone because I looked at these people who, to me, look completely normal. Like you could see them on the street and think they've got their, they've got all their screws, they've got all their screws in place, and they are just as, I mean, they are at rock bottom just like I am. That's why they're here. And so, like, I've always thought that it would be beneficial for like a position like that. Like a position like that, I think would be great. I also think that it would be great if. It could be someone who's been in those shoes because I've talked to, I mean, I've talked to so many counselors and, and people recommended by the university and stuff like that who are great. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not worth their salt. I think they're super smart, but I wonder, I just wonder what the impact would be if, you know, if, if there is a football player who is really struggling and he could talk to another football player who's been there. Yeah. And who has who's been through what they're going through, at least to some extent, because nobody I mean, you know, Angel, you can speak for this. Nobody knows how much of a full time job being a student athlete is. 
Nope. I mean, it is absolutely, I mean, it's, you have no time for anything else. And it's a commitment unlike anything else. And so I have always thought that it would be so much, it would be so beneficial to talk to somebody who has made that commitment. And that like there, I think there, I think a position like that would how would do great. I also, but I've also thought that too. And that if they could talk to like if former student athletes did that, like, or if there was some kind of like, for lack of a better term, a helpline that was available to student athletes by student athletes. Like, mm-hmm. I think yeah. like, just people who have, or, you know, former student athletes or whatever, but just people who have been in your shoes because yep. there are very few people that you will talk to that have been in the shoes of a student athlete. Like, you're not going to talk to someone right away that's been in those shoes. So I think having someone that can have a grip on that situation, like they've been there, they know what the commitment is and the toll that it takes on you both physically and mentally. And they, but they also know that that's not the end of it. I mean, that's not, I've always said that the most temporary part of my football career was the football itself. Everything else that I have gained relationships with coaches, teammates, um, everybody, those are last forever. Um, and so just like having those connections and just having those people that you can talk to that make them like, that make themselves available to talk to, I think would go such a long way with those athletes because it's someone who's been there. Mm-hmm. I totally agree, man. Totally mm-hmm. agree. No, hundred percent. I think yeah. you guys made some really, really valid points. I think right off the bat, I agree with both of you guys having a mental coach. You think you, you look at some of the most elite of the elite, whether it be in business, whether it be in athletics, whether it be, you know, in any other type of, of, of forum. I mean, they all have some type of coach, you yeah. know, you know, whether, whether it be a mental mindset. And you kind of see that on social media kind of becoming prominent, which is really, really inspiring. I mean, you see people that do these kind of like daily vlogs and how they're waking up in the morning, spending 15 minutes to yourself just to close your eyes and have a conversation with yourself. You know, mm-hmm. or if you wanted to have that conversation, you know, if you're religious, have a conversation, you know, kind of down, down that route too. from mm-hmm. there, you know, spending some time just to, you know, plant yourself to the earth, have that time for yourself. Maybe go get a workout in, you know, kind of spend it with just you and yourself. Because first and foremost, you got to like yourself. You got to love mm-hmm. yourself, you know. And I think the best way to be a better brother, a better athlete, a better son, daughter, friend, cousin, it doesn't matter. I think it comes from working on yourself internally, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think having a mental coach or someone specifically kind of dedicated to that role of, hey, checking in with these kids, not only Mm -hmm. is it gonna help with those, you know, numbers statistically as far as suicides and people that struggle with it. Again, 35%, that is a lot of people. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. And know? I'm always like, that's, I mean, that's what we know about. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what we know yeah. about. That's, that's the people that decided to stand yeah. up, you know, exactly. show a little bit of that, that boldness because it is super hard to do it. There's been exactly. times early in my career where I just shut the hell up simply because I don't want somebody looking me a certain way or judging me a certain way. Even on the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things, they probably look at you and be like, wow, that's some bravery right there. Yeah. You know, true bravery mm-hmm. right there. But in the moment, I'm sitting there like, man, I feel like such a punk. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't want to stand up first. So having a mental coach, again, you think about, you know, the most successful people, the most successful athletes, they all have some type of mental coach, mm-hmm. you know, 
and they all have different differential philosophies but you know from an athletic perspective i think it'd be super super beneficial and even thinking about the long-term success of a program if you want to get into dabble of like hey, is this going to help on the performance side of things i'm telling you right now i was a way better athlete that last half of my career as opposed to my first half and that's yep. not because of, of of physical attributes but that's because there was a mental shift in me you know, yeah. and I truly think that elevated my game to that next level. I think that there, there's a realm that hasn't been discovered that's going to bring those players to the next level. Number Absolutely. two, number two, cool. I think personally, having conversations with other people, it doesn't have to be about your specific struggle, but checking in on somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, you see, you see that conversation. I mean, I guess the easiest way that I can compare it to, I'm in sales right now. The easiest way to get better at sales is to go out there and try to sell something to somebody, you know? <laughs> I mean, you get a lot of no's and you got to get a lot of rejections. But in those moments, you start to kind of formulate thoughts and be able to kind of act on your on your feet a little bit quicker and be more comfortable in that uncomfortableness. You know, same thing with these conversations. I think one thing that really helped me provide perspective is I would make sure I would go out and say, hey, how are you today? Mm -hmm. you know? Hey, how's the family? You know, what, what are you going through right now? You know, not only have I have, have I been able to do that, it's put me in some positions where I have people that can trust me. You know, mm -hmm. I like it, like when Colton set, shot that text out, you know, when it, I think it was in 20, whenever that was 2019, 20, what in that mm -hmm. realm, you know, instantly I, I remember thinking like that is super brave that he put this in, in a group chat with all, all, all us men, you know, and that we dropped everything and, and went to go see him and kind of be around him and support him, you know. And so being able to have that trust in me to actually send that text, I mean, it was beautiful to think about it because it's like, man, mm -hmm. who knows if I, if he wouldn't have shot that text, if he didn't feel comfortable enough to put it in the text message, mm -hmm. you know, and, and press that button. So because well, of that, I think having that conversation with other people, just checking in on other people, you know, I think it provides a little bit of perspective. You know, mm -hmm. I think it helps you, makes, makes you realize that you're not alone in this and it, and it puts you in a position to really kind of grow for it and feel more comfortable around that uncomfortable subject. Well, mm -hmm. Angel, you know, I, I've lost a, a, a close um, person in my life with, with uh, mental health. And, and you know, you, as someone that, that has lost, you know, you, you, you always go back and you just wonder, what if I called, you know? What if I, you know, did a text or what if I, you know, drove over you, you constantly, it, 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 it's something that goes with you the rest of your life. It doesn't go away. Um, and so, you know, that's, what's huge to me is, is I don't want anybody to feel that way. I don't yeah. want anyone to go through that. Um, so, uh, you know, going into that, like what you said is, is it's like an injury, man. It, it's a, it's an injury you can't see. Um, and so like I compare it to someone breaks their leg or breaks their arm or breaks their finger. They're not going to, well, hopefully they're not going to put, put, push them out there and say, you know, keep on running. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to, they're going to diagnose what's going on. They're going to say, see if it's treatable and then they're going to, you know, go on. Um, but, you know, forcing these athletes just put up and shut up. Just, mm. just do, do your job, right? That, that, that's what I think a lot of sports and people around it are telling people to do, or these athletes to do. Uh, mm. One of the uh, athletes that, um, I'm going to forget her name, the gymnast, uh, the Olympics, where she basically was like, you know, the pressure is getting to oh, me. Small Biles? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, 
that was the, like the the stage of her life. You know, mm-hmm. she was going through who who knows, yeah. who knows what and kind of stuff she was going you know, through. One of the most athletic people to ever grace this earth, like she is. Exactly, she is know? at the at, athletically. She is at the top of the world. The pinnacle at the of what of what that is, man. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that she did it, and you know, there was an overwhelming support too, but there was mm-hmm. still such a backlash. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're sitting there biting your tongue because you're like, man, that's so wrong in so many different ways. Yeah. And you have zero idea what they might be going through. Yeah. Exactly. Those And those people only look at the gymnastic side of it. They want Simone Biles to go out and be that top of the like top of the world gymnast that she, I mean, is obviously talented at. But that's the thing. Like, that's, I mean, I was, when I was interviewed about it after I retired, they're like, one of these days, Simone Biles is not going to be doing gymnastics anymore. No. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, it was time for me to stop playing football. One of these days, you're not going to play your sport at the, anymore, but you are going to be here. And that's that, like, that you're going to be around so much longer than you're going to be playing a sport. And so that's what needs to be. That's what needs to be prioritized. And I wish like I wish I had known that. You know, back in 2019, like I said, I would love to talk to the Colton of 2019 and tell him what I know now because, like, I I didn't know I didn't know where my football career was going. I mean, I didn't at the time. I didn't really care, and like I knew that I needed to focus on me, and ended up being the best call I ever made. And like, I just want to, like, yeah, I want to talk to that kid and be like, dude, trust me, it's gonna be okay. I mean, there's the and. It's, you know, at the end of the day, we're not some one day is going to come, whether it's by, you know, our own choice to stop playing or God forbid something, some other accident. We're not going to be playing our sport anymore, but we're going to be around. And that's that's what needs to be prioritized rather than these sports. I mean, we place so much emphasis and so much pressure on these athletes. And I mean, they're performing at a high level. They're they're like. These athletes are, I mean, especially even in college, a lot of these guys are getting their school paid for. So, I mean, there's there's a commitment there, but that's not nearly as big as the commitment that you make with yourself. Because, I mean, I think it's, I would, I mean, I'd much rather be here and never play football again than neither of those things. And yeah. I think, and I, I know that everybody else in my life wants that for me too. And I, and I think that, Every athlete that goes through this, everyone that cares about them would think the exact same thing, that they would rather those people never play their sport again and be around than the worst case scenario. And that's the biggest thing that, like, I think needs to be highlighted is that, you know, these student athletes, they get such pressure put on them. But these and especially in college these are kids i was a kid yeah. when i started playing i mean i like i said i didn't even turn 18 until my, the end of my first college fall camp like right before i actually started college was when i turned 18 so i'm i'm still figuring a lot of stuff out and i just i mean i just graduated college i still got stuff i got to figure out so yeah. like, these are i mean these are kids that have base and and you know i'm fortunate enough to have gone to college in my hometown not everybody is that lucky. I'm I'm a, one of the lucky ones, but you know, a, a lot of these people are packing up, leaving home. I mean, you know, there are guys who come to colleges from across the country or out of the country on, in some cases. 
I mean, they got to pack up everything they loved. And I mean, when I was getting recruited, I got one preferred walk other than the Grizz. I got one preferred walk on offer to Carol and Helena. And even that was like kind of nerve wracking to me. I was going to be an hour and a half, two hours away from home. I was nervous. I was scared. Like I, I mean, I've lived in Missoula my whole life. So all of a sudden I was going to be two hours away, away from all my people. And that was tough. So, I mean, I just like those, these people that are packing up their whole lives to go play a sport. Like there's just an unbelievable amount of pressure on them, but because they're studs at their sport, they got to just keep on trucking. But that's, Mm -hmm. like I said, your sport, I mean, there is, you're never going to, there's going to be a time when you don't play your sport anymore, but you're going to be around. And then, you know, if you haven't set yourself up or done what you needed to do for yourself, or at least to point yourself in the right direction, by the time your sport ends, you're going to be on an island. And I mean, it's not that people won't be there for you, but I mean, by the time I stopped playing, I was fortunate enough to know what I needed for myself. But these Mm -hmm. people that are, that have to, or at least make themselves bottle it up and, and then, you know, eventually their sports career ends for one reason or the other. And then it's like, now what? And these, so these poor people just kind of, I, I think that's the time when they really feel alone and they, that's the heart and that's the worst, one of the worst things you can feel when you go through stuff like this. And you, like, these people need to know that other people have been through this and we are here for them to help them get started. I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, you know, college helps you get in some sense to get set up to have a career and some experience so you can be set up in that way but there's so many more things you need to be ready for and i think that it's you know you have you have to take care of yourself because if you put your all into your sport and then your sport ends now what i mean you're you're kind of left on a left on an island well and like i i think of it like it's not even the sports realm like a teacher i'm a teacher um Mm -hmm. You know, or any biz, you know, high level job that you would want to do that you want to be the best, you can lose yourself in whatever you do. And, you know, I always, I always, always tell my, um, my closest friends, like, you got to take time for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can give and give and give and give. But what are you giving towards? You know, you can't mm-hmm. take your job with you when you leave. You can't take your money when you leave. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I die tomorrow, they're going to replace me. Mm-hmm. They're going to replace me at my school that I work at. Putting yourself into something where you're, you're, you can't take it with you. People have to make sure that they are putting time into themselves, taking care of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is a huge thing where it's okay. Take a day off. Mm-hmm. Take a day off and go do whatever you need to do. Take a yep. personal day, a mental mm-hmm. health day. It is important um, as, as life, as life has gone through my, my, um, just my age, I, I've just started to learn that like, if I die tomorrow, they're going to replace me. So why am I working myself to death? Mm-hmm. When I need a day. I need a day to take my kids to the mountains, take my wife to the mountains. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's just one of those things. And I think it's, you'd also be so surprised of what that does to you, man. Yeah. I mean, taking those moments. And I think that's something that I've really been challenging myself 
is 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 I'm I I'm, I'm a homebody. I know I'm a homebody. But mm-hmm. to a lot of people, to the outside world, people see me as extremely outgoing. They extremely extremely extroverted. But in reality, I I'm terrified to talk to people, and I'm terrified, and it's exhausting for me to 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 just have conversations. I'm one of those. You know, mm-hmm. but to many people, they see me as like, oh, you're you naturally you're you're easy to talk to. You're you're one of those people that enjoys it. You know, mm-hmm. but ultimately, man, I get so tired. I get so tired from it. It's a draining thing for me, but it's something that I love to do. Simply because one, it gives me that perspective, but two, I mean, it it gives me an opportunity to really kind of connect with people, and I think that's what's what it's really all about for me. I'm really mm-hmm. passionate about people. So even Absolutely. though there's a step in between where, you know, maybe sometimes I don't always enjoy having those conversations, I do it because at the end of it, I get a new perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet, even yesterday, I went golfing with one of my good friends, Anderson Clark, he's a, he's a GA over at the university. And he, he's doing his dissertation because he's in grad school on athletes and their mental health. And I think this is something that could, I'm probably, you know, generalizing and broadening it up a little bit. And it, I think to be, you know, applicable to just every, the everyday person. But he says, really kind of what are you seeing in his dissertation is that athletes kind of struggle for him because of two things, because of the pressure that the sport kind of brings about them and simply because their identity is so embedded into being a football player, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people can maybe speak for that. You know, when you think about yourself, you know, you think of your career, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably say, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wife, I'm a husband, I'm a father, you know, I'm a mother, those sort of things. But ultimately, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, you do say, hey, I'm, they, they find that connection to the career, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't really th- see that as, as, as an identity characteristic, you know, because mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're some of your parts and you're more than that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think you make a great point and just saying, take it, take a freaking day, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. honestly, truly and get out, go do mm-hmm. something. It's going for a 15 minute walk, you know, has done wonders for me. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. literally 15 minutes. That may be a form of, of, of meditation. That may be a form of therapy to something. You know, mm-hmm. calling up your mom and saying, hey, mom, I miss you. I just want to talk to you. You know, what mm-hmm. does that do to the soul? You know, yeah. how, how do you make it full? How, how, how can you provide some type of perspective, especially in those moments? Because I know when I have a bad day and I come to mom and she says, hey, I love you so much. It's going to be okay. I have yeah. a phone and immediately, you know, I, I believe her. I trust yeah. her, you know, and, and I mean, I mean, I'm a mama's boy for life and I have no problem saying that, but I mean, <laughs> people out there, you know, can sit there and relate to something like that. Having a conversation with somebody you care about or something mm-hmm. you're passionate about, you know, my brother, he's a proponent for mental health awareness and he struggles with it to this day, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he, I mean, I come home and he, he takes those moments to really kind of spend it with himself and his whole thing is painting. You know, and I'll sit there and I'll just paint and paint and paint and paint. And that's his happy place. That's his peace. That often cope with it, man. And I think mm-hmm. also, too, man, in those moments, I think I think just pushing on, you know, just just really kind of pushing. And it's harder said than done because I know it's so hard to do sometimes. But honestly, like I look back on it and I, and I started looking at that chapter in my life to where I am now. And I'm so proud of it. You know, I, I'm super, super, super grateful that I went through that simply because it gives me this opportunity to speak from a place of, of relevance you know because again without being in the fire it's kind of hard to talk about it and so the fact that i was you know i'm super proud of it and be able to say that i I got myself out of that place you know Mm -hmm. and that's a whole different discussion as far as what you can possibly do because there's so many different things like i said 15 minute walks grounding yourself to the earth figuring out what you're eating you know that could be a major one too i know that one that one messed with me 
you know, being 350 pounds didn't, did not do anything good for my mental health, you know, for my spiritual health, you know. Mm -hmm. And so sorts things like that of that sort, man. And I think ultimately just 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 having that conversation. I mean, mm -hmm. it keeps coming down to the same fundamental thing for step number one. Take a step yep. in the right direction. You know, regardless mm -hmm. of where you go, it's scary and it's black and you can't see five feet ahead of you. But what you can see, if you look down, you can see your two feet, you know, just take a step in one direction. I never underestimate one of my favorite philosophers is named Jordan Peterson. He kind of covers a wide range of topics. And I think he's he's kind of, you know, under scrutiny in certain senses for for some things he says. But one of the things that I just saw the under or I guess a couple of weeks ago that really kind of stuck out to me is do, don't underestimate the hole your absence would leave. You know, I mean, if you let me say that again, do not underestimate the hole your absence would leave. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know, I think about it and I think about my mom and my family and the people that I interact with on a daily basis and know that I that I have somewhat of an impact in other people's lives. You know whether i know it or not and i hope listeners out there can kind of relate to that too you you don't know how how important you are to somebody else so you don't know what you mean to somebody else you yeah. know and so just remembering that in those tough times i think will provide a little bit of of direction and kind of maybe a little bit of a grounding in those tough moments because yeah. it's not easy you know i think that's a good and that is a good i mean that's a good way of thinking about it like thinking about the hole that you would leave if you weren't there and I mean, and I, I can absolutely speak to what you said, Angel, about, you know, find your happy place. Because yeah. you know, once you once you kind of, I guess, get a grasp on what's going on between your ears or at least know that you need some, you need, you could use some help or, you know, just as once you realize what's you, what you're going through, everybody has a happy place everybody yeah. like for and for some of them i'm with you i mean i am i am i do love socializing i love talking with people sometimes there are just times where there is no place i would rather be than at home because it's mm -hmm. just it's my own home it it just brings that sense of real relaxation and i can just shut everything out for however long i'm there and then and you know by the time i'm ready to by the time i gotta leave i'm i'm closer to ready to face them and you know like i said i love i love talking to people i think that um i mean i have friends that i'm grateful for family that i love but sometimes they're just not like there'll be times in your life where i've always looked at my my social meter like a gas tank when you but there'll be times when it's like when you when you turn off the car and the gas tank just goes like all the way to the bottom and then sometimes that'll just be what happens like sometimes something in your day will happen that'll just make your gas tank go from wherever it was to the empty and you just need to find find that place where it's you know if it's with people if it's without people wherever it is everybody's got one every and sometimes you know it'll you got to find what it is but um everybody's got a place that they feel that they feel at home, that they feel like they can let their guard down. And I'm the same way for me. Sometimes I just need to go home, shut everything out for a little bit. And then, and even if it's for like an hour, and then I can, you know, I'll leave the house and I'm more prepared for what's next. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that was also a great, um, like that, what you said is a great statement. And one that I have always kind of, one that has always been close to my heart is that, you know, appreciate the fact that everyone who is here 
has a 100% track record of making it through the hard days. Your track record of making it through the hard stuff, as long as you're here, is 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. That's, uh, and that's something that I have wow. always kept close to me because yeah. I have been, I mean, in my head, I've been to hell and back and been to places that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But I'm still here. And that means I have a hundred percent track record of making it through the hard stuff, just like you guys do too. I mean, you're mm-hmm. we're here, which means that we have made it through every single hard thing we've gone through. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's important. We have that track record, and that's something we should be proud of. Amen. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no. I mean, wow, that that's a good one. I I never even looked at it that way. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm undefeated. You know what I mean? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, you look at everything else in my life, and I've, I've failed at everything else in my life. You know, in one way or shape or form, or it hasn't been a hundred percent. You know, for mm-hmm. sure. Even if it's a ninety-nine point nine nine success rate, but mm-hmm. I mean, looking at that perspective, I mean, it really just kind of opens the eye to how, how strong the mind is. You know, how strong you can be. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's a beautiful thing to kind of think about and have that conversation about because you know some people need to hear that. Yeah. You know, some people don't know that. Hey, man, you're you're a champ. You know, mm-hmm. you're undefeated in your days. Like exactly, going. You know, so wow. I mean, well, that, that's and awesome. Angel, like you During just that. said, like failure. In what Colton said, failure is a perspective. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. all it's all in the perspective that you have. Mm-hmm. Like like Colton said, you know, I, I'm 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 100 I'm undefeated. You know, you, you said I failed, but but you're here though. So you yeah, I guess that's, yeah, you're right, yeah. It's a, it's about perspective and where you're at and seeing where you're at and coming through it. Honestly, we're, we're living every day, every minute, and the perspective is we're we'll keep on living and we're we're hoping to strive to reach out and help other people and and get through this time and and, mm-hmm. and enjoy and and love and just just do life. But mm-hmm. you get, you got to find your purpose. <laughs> if it's uh, faith based, uh, if it's people based. If it's something where, where where you have a purpose, man, uh, I strongly strongly really push um, finding your purpose because um, yeah. that that will help you tremendously. 100%. Absolutely, yeah. And like I said, you you know, since being a hundred percent on making it through the hard days, that's that that success alone is bigger than any failure you could have gone through that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you that's. You know, things things aren't going to go right every day, and they shouldn't. That's what that's part of life. But the fact that you made it through the day, that's the biggest. Like that's a big, that's the biggest success. That success is bigger than any failure you could have gone through that day. Whether mm-hmm. it's something small from, you know, missing, forgetting to take the garbage out before garbage day, mm-hmm. or something like, or some kind of tragedy, but. You're here, and that is the most important thing. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, Adam, I'm about I'm about good with questions. Do you have anything else that you kind of want to? I'm good, man. I, I just, yeah. you know, Colton, I can't thank you enough, man, for for opening up and and, and talking about a a subject and and a time in your life that isn't easy, wasn't easy. Um, and I, I'm glad you're here, man. I feel like uh, I, I've gained another friend. Um, and if you ever need anything, brother, we're, we're here for you. If anyone, anyone needs anything, 
um, please reach out to anybody, Colton, uh, Angel, myself. Uh, you're not alone. Um, mm -hmm. Like we've we've said on this episode, reach out, reach out. There there are places where you can find resources. There are hotlines that you can that you can talk to someone. Um, please reach out mm -hmm. and, and talk. Yeah, I've always said. I've always said, like anybody who are out there who listens to this, like even if I don't know you, reach out to me. I mean, I, I, I'm really grateful to you guys for for, for giving me this platform to speak out. Um, but I and I because I know the good it can do. I mean, it's gonna. I, I've always said, you know, if I speak out and it helps one person, I've done what I needed to do, and anybody after that is even better. So, I mean, like, I speak out like I do because I want to help people. I want people to be helped in however they feel most comfortable. But, I mean, you know, I, I'm open. I'm open. I'm an open book. I am happy. I, I, I want to talk about this because of the good it can do. And if, mm -hmm. if, some, if, if a stranger came up to me and said, hey, man, you know, I know we don't know each other, but I could use some help. I'm there. I mean, it's because that's what's important. So, I mean, yeah, I reach out to, I mean, there is no shortage of people. I think the amount of people who would be out there willing to help you would shock you because a lot of people care about you. And there are people out there who don't know you that would still help you because that, that because there's, I think that in my eyes, the world is not as bad as it looks and there's a lot of good people out there. So yeah, I think the amount of people that want to help, will surprise anybody no uh, i mean completely agree with both of you guys said you know it's really it's really an honor to just like you said kind of colton just to be able to have this platform that have these conversations you know because they're not easy you know mm -mm. being able to talk about being suicidal and kind of what you're going through and you know these kind of different situations and circumstances i think it's really a vulnerable state especially you know for for for, for all three of us to just come on here and publicly you know kind of announce this to the world you know, and I think because of it, it it's just I, I hope it, it, it helps people understand that it's OK, you know, mm -hmm. that you're not alone with it. And it gives them an opportunity to gain just a little bit of that confidence to hit that send button, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, a little bit of, of that comfort to know that, hey, these guys are listening. They've been here and they, they want to help. So, again, mm -hmm. I mean, reiterating what they kind of both said, come talk to us. You know, reach out to us on, on, on our actual page, our personal pages, see us in person, come have those conversations with us, you know, no problem having having those talks, you know, because mm -hmm. it's something that, that we're passionate about helping people to kind of, you know, whether we can provide some type of direction or just be an ear to listen to, you know, 100%, I, I'd, I'd be an advocate for that 100 times out of 100. And then mm -hmm. for those out there too, you know, call the Montana Suicide Lifeline if, if you know, we you guys aren't comfortable reaching out to us. That number is one eight hundred two seven three talk one eight hundred two seventy three eight two five five or text MT to seven four one seven four one. You know, so don't be afraid to reach out to us. And again, Colton, I just I can't think enough, brother. Just looking at yeah. your journey and where, where where you've been at to where you've come. I mean, it, it's just I, I I gleam with pride. You know what I mean? And I'm just honored to know you and kind of, you know, being able to kind of share these 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 stories with each other simply because we were part of it and 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 we're past it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, the best is still yet to come. And I tell mm -hmm. people at this point in, in time in my life, I'm a bonus. You know, I've done 100 percent of whatever I set out to do so far. I'm undefeated right now. Mm -hmm. Everything else from here on out is bonus. 
you know so these conversations these people these experiences it's it's something that 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 i'm just grateful to have simply because you never know what if it'll be here tomorrow you know so for both of you man i i'm super appreciative of colton and adam you know and the, the relationships and friendships that we have man and again thanks you guys for listening i appreciate you guys' time uh, yeah you. appreciate you guys it's been awesome